The church is now a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, called out people. For what reason? To declare the glory and the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's what Israel had been called to do. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. When we decide to seek Jesus with all our heart, the enemy can be counted on to try and hinder our effort. Hi everybody, welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire and thank you for joining us. Today we're continuing the series, The One That Got Away, taken from the Song of Solomon. It's been my experience that as soon as I decide to really pursue Jesus with all my heart, the enemy steps up his efforts to thwart my decision at every turn. And that's what we're going to see happening to the Shulamite today in our journey through the Song of Solomon. In fact, three things will be used to try and turn her away from the shepherd. I think you're going to identify with at least one or more of them in your own quest to know the Lord better. So let's go right to the message, An Hour of Truth. So we closed last time with the shepherd coming to the Shulamite. The story records in chapter 2, verse 9, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Now, she is talking to the shepherd. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is gazing through the lattice. Now, remember, I'm recapping a little bit from last week. Remember that the walls and the windows suggest man-made obstacles, right? The beloved shows up. He's standing behind her wall. He's looking through her windows. He's gazing through the lattice. He's making himself known to her there in Solomon's pavilion. Those walls and windows suggest man-made obstacles, right? Men build houses. Men build windows. This is a metaphor. It's a picture. This whole Song of Solomon is a giant metaphor of Christ and his church and the tempter and the people of this world. So it's man-made barriers, are they not, that are erected between the soul and the Savior? He comes to her, but something is standing between him and her. Windows, walls, lattice. He peers in, but he's not going to force himself on her. He does not, notice this, he doesn't come marching in like Solomon. Solomon just saw her and said, wow, she's hot. And he commanded his men to grab her and carry her to his palace to make her a part of his harem. So he was forceful. He was aggressive. He was coercive. But notice the shepherd is not that way. The shepherd doesn't come where he's not invited. Now I'm going to say that again. The shepherd doesn't come where he's not invited. What does Revelation 3.20 say? Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. I don't kick the door down. I don't push my way in. I knock. And if any man hears my voice 
and look where the will is involved here, and opens the door, then I will come into his life and sup with him and he with me. So unlike Solomon, the coercer, the shepherd is the beckoner. And he's that way today. The Lord Jesus will never force himself upon us. You want to go your own way? You can go your own way. He will let you go. You're going to pay for it, but he will let you go. He is very careful not to override our will, so much so that he simply shows himself and leaves the next move to us. And that's exactly what happened to the Shulamite in the Song of Solomon. He's looking through the window, peering around the lattice. He's on the other side of the wall. She sees him, but he doesn't force himself on her. Now, we're going to see in this poem that the Shulamite hesitates when she sees him. She sees him. She doesn't seize the opportunity. And later, she deeply, deeply regrets that she let him pass her by. But before he leaves, the shepherd says something to her before leaving. He has a message for her soul. Even though she had not come running out to him, he wanted to leave some words for her to hide in her heart. And I shared with you last time, I know the Lord knows. A lot of the time when he comes to you and to me at different junctures in our life, he comes at crossroads in our life. He approaches us at times of major decisions, major turning points, major decision times. And he says, I'm here. And I know that a lot of the time when he does that, he knows we're not going to respond. But he also knows that later we're going to remember how he approached us before and the price we paid for not responding. And we're going to remember that and say, not this time, I'm responding. So he left some words for her. And the shepherd's call was threefold. It appealed to her will it appealed to her mind, and it appealed to her heart. Now that call, those three things beautifully summarize the call of the Lord Jesus on our own lives. He appeals to our will. He appeals to our mind, and he always appeals to our heart. Now, first, let's look at those three aspects of his calling. The first, his call was volitional. It was to her will. It was the call to recognize a new Lord. How many of you remember when the Lord first knocked on the door of your heart and it was a call to your will? Will you come to me? Will you yield to me? Will you allow me to be your new Lord, your new boss? Look what he says in verse 10. She is rehearsing now what happened. My beloved spoke and he said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Can you hear Jesus there? Now, one thing is certain, the Lord Jesus did not force himself upon us. To each of us is given a measure of volition and powers of choice. If we didn't have a choice, then we are robots and not people. We have a choice. God has given every one of us the right to choose, or we would be puppets. And so when we worship him, what does it mean to him? if he's making us do it. See, I really believe one of the reasons God gave man a will, he wanted us to love him with our will. You know, nobody wants to be married to a Stepford wife who's just programmed and nothing is genuine, nothing is authentic, nothing is real. We want somebody of their own will to say to us, I think you're the greatest thing since peanut butter. Right? 
I think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You make my world rock. Amen? All right. If that isn't so, then statements like this. If we didn't have a will, then what do you do with verses like this? Whosoever will may come. Or what about, will thou be made whole? And what did that person say? I will. And then what about, choose you this day whom you will serve? I mean, if we have no choice, then how is God commanding us to choose? Amen? Meaningless rhetoric, all those verses would be if we didn't have a choice. Now, if we had no right to choose, we're not moral agents. Now, the first call of the shepherd was to the will. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. I want you to follow me. Let's go. It's a new day. It was a call to be united with him, to leave the old way of life, and to have a new Lord. And I so remember that day in my own life. Come away, Jeff. Come away with me. How many of you have a name? We're going to say come away, and then I want you to put your name in there. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away and put your name in there. Because this is personal with every one of us. He said, I want you to rise up. I want you to follow me. I want you to come away. Leave this world of sin. Leave your sinful lifestyle. Leave your sinful friends. Leave whatever is blocking me from you and you from me. And follow me. That's the call of the shepherd. So the first one was to the will. Now, the next call, the call of the shepherd was logical to the mind. It was the call to receive a new life. It embraced all the dimensions of time. Past, he talked about his past. Present, talked about his present and future. First, let's look at how he related to the past. Look what he said in verse 11. For lo, the winter is past. I want you to read that with me. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. What's he saying? That cold, dark, barren, empty, former life is past. The winter is past. The storms of winter had ended. The harsh, barren pain of a lifeless past was gone. A new season was about to begin. Summer suns were on the way. The past was the past. It was over. We like to say the past is past because it's the past. That's the beauty of the gospel, folks. It deals with our past. See, only the shepherd can say to us, really and truly and fully and totally, the winter of your past is past. The past can't just be swept under the rug. You know why? Because it must be forgiven. Until the past is forgiven, then the winter can't be past. But when the past can be forgiven then we are really experiencing a blessing. It must be forgiven, and God alone can do that. Through Jesus, that's exactly what he did. He died for our past sins, took our incalculable indebtedness toward God upon himself, and he paid the price in full. The winter really is past. So you don't have to live there. You don't have to go back there. You don't have to feel guilty about back there. It's all washed away. Thank God for the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Amen? So let's say it together. The winter is past. Now I want you to tell the devil, the winter is past. Now tell yourself, the winter is past. Now give God a hand of praise for what he's done. That's good. Amen. Now, having dealt with the past, the shepherd points to the present. Look what he says in verse 12. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of the birds has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. What is that verse smack of? New life. The past is gone. It's time for a new life. In other words, here's what he's saying, and this is how it relates to you and me. Our daily present tense experience with Jesus should be one of beauty, bliss, and blessing, and new life. How many of you believe that? We ought to be living that every single day. You know, we preach on being thankful. If you just get up and you just start thanking God just for the cross and for the blood, it has a way of setting your mind and setting your heart into the reality of what the gospel has done for you. He has given you a brand new life. The winter is past. The spring has come. It's time for new life. It's time for new horizons. It's time for new blessings. It's time for new hope. It's time for new vision. If any man be in Christ, the old is passed away and all is become new. That's what he's talking about. Flowers speak of spring with exciting new life. And they bring a wonderful fragrance that fills the air. Likewise, instead of the bleakness and the barrenness of cold, stormy winter, Jesus wants to bring beauty and freshness. What did the prophet say about Jesus? He said he gives beauty for ashes, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, beauty for ashes. That's what Jesus does. And that's what was happening with this Shulamite. Now, notice, he wants to fill our lives with song. Quote, the singing of the birds has come. Let me tell you what Satan does. Satan fills our lives with tears and sorrow. You know what sin does? It blights everything it touches. Don't let the devil fool you when he says to you, well, Christians live a boring life and you don't want to be one of those Bible-thumping, straight-laced, church-going, boring Christians. You need to come and be worldly like us. They're lying. Because let me tell you who really has the tough time. It's those who live in sin. It says the way of the sinner is hard. But Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I've come that you might have life and have it much more abundantly. As a matter of fact, when you look at what Jesus said he was going to do for you and me, if we let him into our life, that's where it's really happening. But Satan, he'll fill you with tears. You'll wake up with regrets. You'll live your life out in sorrows, and you'll die in your sin. But not with Jesus. He puts a new song in our mouth. He said, I have come that you might have life, and that more abundantly, John 10, 10. And he even wants to fill our lives with bliss. Can you say the word with me, bliss? Now, bliss is strong. Bliss is a very emotional word. But he says, the voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. <laughs> you say, well, what in the world does that mean? What's a turtle dove? The turtle dove in Scripture is a beautiful symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you, when you're in a time of revival, when the voice of the Spirit is heard in the land, 
when the voice of the spirit instead of the voice of the enemy is heard in the land. He said the voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. He brings into a human heart, that is Jesus, the great shepherd, all the blessings of God in Christ. What a blessing it is when the voice of the turtle dove is heard throughout the land. And what a blessing it is when the voice of the turtle dove is heard in your own heart. I heard the turtle dove a few times today. How about you? Speaking to me, encouraging me, giving me wisdom, the voice of the turtle dove. And it lifts you. It takes stress off of you. It puts a skip in your step, a gleam in your eye, a smile on your face. The shepherd's call reaches into the past, it reaches into the present, and it also embraces the future. This is strong, verse 13, very meaningful. Look at what it says. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now, that's the shepherd talking to the Shulamite. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now, we have two things here I want us to look at, the fig tree and the vine. Because he talks about two things, the fig tree putting forth figs and the vine putting forth tender grapes. What is he talking about? Let's take the vine first. Jesus talked about the vine in John 15. While national Israel had failed to produce the spiritual fruit God had desired, because national Israel never did, read from Exodus through Deuteronomy, then read the book of Judges, and all you read about is a chronicle of failure after failure after failure after dismal, abysmal failure. We see the first generation not even able to cross the Jordan into the promised land because of their endless complaining. The first generation had to die out in the sand while the second generation, their children were able to cross over. But even them, when they crossed over, failed and failed and failed again. Book of Judges is nothing but failure, deliverance, failure, deliverance, failure, deliverance, failure. So they didn't produce the fruit that God had called them to produce. They were God's nation. All the way back to Genesis 12, verse 1, the Abrahamic covenant, the call of Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. Through you, I want all the nations of the earth to know that I'm real. But as they grew and multiplied in Egypt into millions, a true nation, they never brought forth the grapes, the fruit that God had called them to. So what happened? Well, while national Israel had failed to produce the spiritual fruit God desired, the Lord's church would do so. Look what Jesus said. I'm the vine. Abide in me and I in you. And here's what will happen if you do that. You will bring forth fruit. What fruit? The fruit he had wanted Israel to bring forth. The church is now a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, called out people. For what reason? To declare the glory and the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what Israel had been called to do. But they failed at it. So God went to the Gentiles. And I don't know about you, but I'm a Gentile. Every Gentile in here, raise your hand. If I have any 100% Jews, raise your hand. If you're a 100% Jew, see, we be Gentiles. 
We were grafted into the vine. Amen? So, so here's the deal. Now God is saying, you're going to bring forth the fruit. You're going to tell the nations about my glory. You are now going to declare my praises to the earth. And Jesus said, it's simple. You abide in me and I abide in you. And you're going to start producing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. You're going to start producing the fruit of the kingdom. So the vine is associated with the church age. Where the fruit Israel had failed to produce would be produced by a people abiding in Christ Jesus. Now, that's the vine. The church age. Now, what about the fig tree? The fig tree is associated with the end of the church age. The end when Christ returns. Remember the time when Jesus walked up that fig tree? The disciples were all standing there. Jesus came up to a fig tree and he looked at it. It had leaves, but it had no figs. And what did Jesus do? He cursed it. Why did he do that? Because it says, the disciples were stunned. He cursed the fig tree because it was fruitless and it was deceptive. What did that fig tree represent? Old Testament Israel. It had leaves, but no figs, no fruit. It looked good, but there was no figs on it. So it was deceptive in its appearance. It looked like it had the goods, but it didn't like a lot of churches today. You can come up to a great, big, beautiful structure and walk into a multi-million dollar building and sit down in a refrigerator because there is no life, no fruit, no move of the Spirit, no salvation, no nothing. They look good from the outside. There's leaves, but there's no fruit. So the fig tree was deceptive in its appearance. And when Jesus cursed it, he didn't just curse it because he was mad at some fig tree. He was giving us a message, a metaphor, a symbol, an illustration. The fig tree Jesus cursed quickly withered and died. This was Jesus' only judgment miracle. Everything else, he made it come alive, made it be healed, delivered it. But this, he killed it. Well, the lessons in today's message are timeless. True love will honor the object of its affection. And true love always possesses boundaries. Isn't it powerful the way this powerful Song of Songs illustrates the difference between love and lust? Well, don't touch that dial yet because our announcer has some important information to share with you, our Life Talk listeners. And be sure to join me next time as we continue our journey through the powerful little book called The Song of Songs. Until then, may God bless you richly is my prayer. Now you can bring Pastor Jeff Wickwire and Life Talk right into your home, your car, or wherever you may be to lead you on the exciting journey of building up your Christian walk in faith, hope, and love. For a gift of any size to Life Talk, Pastor Jeff will send you a CD collection of some of his most anointed and inspiring teaching series. These CDs will strengthen your faith and build your understanding of what Christ Jesus did for you at the cross. You will begin to understand just how much our Heavenly Father loves you and the whole world. 
So call now, toll-free, 877-884-3111. Or just log on anytime, day or night, to lifetalk.tv. Listen to Pastor Jeff's hope-filled CDs again and again. Or give them to family members or friends as a gift. Don't wait. Call 877-884-3111 right now. Or log on anytime to lifetalk.tv and give your best gift today. An Hour of Truth is the fourth message of Pastor Jeff's series, The One That Got Away. You can own a copy of this 10-CD set for just $50 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, The One That Got Away, for only $50 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.